0: Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast.
1: Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe
0: Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And
2: God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing.
0: It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's
2: what is the purpose that's been assigned.
0: Stay curious. Think well, advance good. This is Q.
2: If we're not to have states, governments that are overburdened and overburdening, you need to have a robust, thriving civil society with non-profit organizations all over the place. And it is religious freedom which is the key to their flourishing. And, of course, religious freedom is the key to social harmony. There has never been any way of bringing together diversity with harmony and yet having liberty. Diversity, harmony, liberty, all three. Some countries have two. The trick is to have all three. And to do it, you need to have religious freedom.
0: That was Oz Guinness setting us up for this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Gabe will join us later with more from his friend Oz. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Today we're exploring the issue of human flourishing in the age of pluralism. While some may long for the days when our culture was more religiously and socially homogeneous, the trends are that our nation is becoming more diverse. And if we're willing to see it, that opens up some wonderful opportunities when it comes to sharing the gospel and impacting the world. Today, we'll feature two talks. First, let us listen to Gideon Strauss. Gideon is the executive director of the Dupree Center for Leadership at Fuller Seminary. He also is a senior fellow with the Center for Public Justice. As a native of South America, he served as an interpreter for the country's Truth and Reconciliation Commission and an advisor to the South African Constitutional Assembly back in 1996. Let's listen as he talks about principled pluralism.
3: One of the big questions facing us is how to live together given our deep differences. How do we contribute to a common culture when we really do disagree with each other, all the way down to our deepest commitments and some of our most fondly held convictions? How could we be restorers politically in a thoroughly pluralistic, global society. Today, uh, too frequently, Christians participate in political life in a mode of outrage. Can we imagine a tomorrow in which Christians more frequently participate in our political life in a mode of conviviality? practicing what Richard Mao in his wonderful little book, Uncommon Decency, refers to as convicted civility. Mao suggests that too frequently people of deep conviction fail to give expression to those convictions with civility. And at the same time, very often, people who have mastered the practice of civility appear to lack any real depth of conviction. What might it look like if we were able to marry conviction and civility together and to be people who are known for our convicted civility as we participate in political conversations with those from whom we do disagree very deeply? Frightened by the prospect of a secularized, naked public square, Many Christians yearn for a Christianized, sacred public square. In which Christians have some kind of dominion over the public life of the United States of America. But we live in a time of God's patience, and we know that we are not called to coerce the convictions of our neighbors. But instead we are to invite them, by our practice of coexistence, to a certain way of living. This uh, Sunday past at Grace Pasadena, the congregation where I worship. We had a, a call and response between our liturgist and our congregation. The liturgist said, Christ is risen. And we responded, He's risen indeed. Because we confess that Christ is risen, we can engage in our public life in a mode that is not anxious. We can recognize that we do live in a reality that is shaped by diversity and difference. Pluralism is our reality. That does not mean that we have to surrender our principles. Instead, it enables us to practice a principled pluralism. This is not just about how we talk to each other. It's not just about the stances we take in public life. It also has to do with how we actually build our society one of the things that's wonderful about America and that as an immigrant into this society I treasure is the very high value given to the human person this is a society which over these centuries has given expression to the importance of individuals but too frequently Christians have joined into an overemphasis, a kind of a Lone Ranger overemphasis, on that individuality, losing sight of the importance of our communality, the importance of human beings being made in a neighborhooded way. We're made for relationship. And so, I have been inspired by uh, the vision articulated by someone like Jim Skillen of the Center for Public Justice as symphonic justice. A vision of a society where, yes, individual distinct persons matter, but in which the diverse kinds of our relationships, the rich fabric of our relationality is also given expression where, like in a symphony uh, orchestra performance, you have the voices of the violins distinctly and uniquely being brought out, the voices of the cellos distinctly and uniquely being brought out according to their kind, but woven together into a harmony, not dissonance, but instead harmony. What would it look like to have a society in which families do matter in which businesses can flourish within the context and the constraints of markets in which schools and art galleries and all this rich array of human relationships are given their appropriate place woven together into symphonic justice christians are called to contribute towards a society marked by a rhetoric of convicted civility, convictions of principled pluralism, and a shaped society of symphonic justice. But that does not mean that we will bring about the new Jerusalem. As philosophers would say, we are not to imminentize the eschaton. Instead, as Richard Mao in his wonderful little book, The Kings Come Marching In, and Andy Crouch in culture-making, remind us, the new Jerusalem comes to us as a gift, but the hope of the world to come calls us forward now to practice convicted civility, principled pluralism, and to shape society marked by symphonic justice. And if we do these things, we can contribute to a more fully human American.
0: That was Gideon Strauss talking about principled pluralism on this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Before Gabe joins us, I want to tell you about a great opportunity that you, your church or organization has to make an impact right in your community with the help of Q, right in your city. A few weeks ago in Nashville, Gabe and the Q team hosted Q 2019, the annual Q conference, three days of talks and conversations about many important topics. And as important as the Q conference is... It's not the largest event the Q does. That happens in the fall in communities all around the U.S. and around the world. It's called Q Commons. What's really cool about Q Commons is that it combines some great talks from some national leaders, but then at each local venue, hosts their curate talks by speakers in communities like yours, ministry, nonprofit, business, and thought leaders locally who work to advance good in their communities. And yes, while the annual Q Conferences are a great event that provides a wonderful 50,000-foot view of many topics, Q Commons helps you to think about issues locally and ways to apply yourself to advance good in your community. And really, that's where problems are best solved. And that's where you're best able to touch people's lives at the local level. Q is still working on details about the event, but let me put it this way. We'd like you to think about how maybe you could host a two-hour Q Commons event in your city this fall. Now, last year, there were over 150 Q Commons venues across the nation and the world. But there's always room for more because so many communities did not have a venue. If you feel it's a bit overwhelming, don't worry. Gabe and his team will work with you all the way through the planning process and execution. More details are coming shortly to QCommons.com. Again, that's QCommons.com. Well, we still have a lot of time on this week's Q Ideas, so let's continue with another talk as we continue looking at engaging well in our more pluralistic culture. Gabe joins us now. Gabe, why don't you introduce our next speaker?
1: I've just been so grateful to have been somebody that sat under his leadership, somebody who's learned from his books and his writings, and then just been able to have great dialogues with over many, many years. His name is Oz Guinness. He's somebody who's written a lot about issues such as calling. He wrote a book called The Call that's still read by so many people today in colleges and and those who are trying to understand vocation and calling. But in the last decade, he's turned so much attention to helping people really understand What is freedom? What is liberty? What is the idea of a freedom of conscience? What are those rights that every human being ought to have in order to share their opinions, to have free speech, to let their ideas continue to go forward in the world? He's done incredible work around this topic, so much so I'm not going to try to describe all of it, except to say he's the authority on understanding religious freedom, understanding this deeply human idea but really grounded in the American idea of freedom of conscience and the right for everybody to be able to believe what they want to believe and to live out of that belief as long as it doesn't cause physical harm to others. His most recent book is called Last Call for Liberty How America's Genius for Freedom Has Become Its Greatest Threat and in this project he just continues to really educate people. It's it's like a civic lesson on understanding how America was meant to function. Now those of you who live outside of America I know Sometimes there's an opinion about Americans in America uh, that's not always positive. And, and for others of you, it is. And, and I think what's good about Oz's work is he doesn't come from America. He actually is the great-grandson of Arthur Guinness, the Dublin brewer. He was born in China in World War II, where his parents were medical missionaries. And then he spent much of his life in Europe and, and England, uh, and now he lives in the U.S., but travels uh, the world a lot. He, he understands the globe, but he also understands what's unique about this American experiment, and he understands what's unique about ideas. Now, at Q, we talk about ideas. That's a really important facet of what we believe is important. We need to get ideas out. We need to create space where ideas can be discussed, where people aren't coerced to not share their opinion, or in American culture, American life, that we're actually allowing people to freely speak, to freely speak their ideas and let the best ideas win. Well, in this talk that you're going to listen to for nine minutes, it's called Getting Along Despite Differences. I asked Oz if he would speak to this issue of how can we better understand this deeply held truth, this deeply held idea that's foundational for every human being that we have a freedom of conscience. And how does that then play out in our public square today where people have a lot of different opinions and sometimes the loudest voice is the one who wins. So let's listen in. Let's get educated together. If you're sitting somewhere where you can actually grab out a journal or a pen and you can take notes. You might want to do that just so that you can go back and review and read this. But I would also encourage you, any book written by Oz Guinness is a book that really is thoughtful, that really goes deep to the foundation of whatever subject or idea it is that he's trying to grapple with. And his most recent book, Last Call for Liberty, does this brilliantly. Let's listen in now to Oz Guinness.
2: How do we live with our deepest differences? We're at a very solemn moment for humanity. The last century was the most murderous in human history. And today, in this century, we are witnesses to the horror of yet another genocide, which many world leaders are refusing to name. We are seeing the heartbreak of a tidal wave of desperate, and unwanted, often, migrants. And certainly in the West, we're living in the heated conflicts of what is now, in America, 50 years of incessant culture warring. But as we look at this, you can see the West is weakening, American leadership is faltering, the international global order is being called into question, And one of the deepest issues that's coming up again and again, how do we live with our deepest differences? And we have to say that we who are followers of Jesus enter this discussion in a mixed light. We are, and there's no question, the pioneers of freedom of conscience and religious freedom. From Tertullian and Lactantius, right down through Roger Williams and William Penn, And many of the greatest heroes of this issue, they were followers of Jesus. At the same time, particularly because of the medieval era, we have been some of the perpetrators of the worst evils against freedom of conscience. Take the Inquisition, or the notion that error has no rights, or the terrible forced conversion of our Jewish friends. And today, a third part, we are the most persecuted faith in the world. Wherever there is persecution, in almost every place, Christians are persecuted too. Not alone, but profoundly persecuted. So this issue, how do we live with our deep differences, is one that has stakes for humanity and the future and certainly for the Christian church. I would just stress three things that we need to wrestle with. First, we need to affirm and appreciate the foundational primacy of freedom of conscience and religious freedom. It's under a cloud today, dismissed as a cover for discrimination or bigotry or hatred. But it is the first of the political rights. There's no ranking That would be invidious. But if you work out the logic of each of the rights, freedom of association depends on Freedom of speech. Freedom of speech assumes and requires freedom of conscience. And when the inner forum of the conscience is respected, then the outer forum of the public square can be protected too. Not only that, it's the key to civil society. If we're not to have states, governments that are overburdened and overburdening, You need to have a robust, thriving civil society with non-profit organizations all over the place. And it is religious freedom which is the key to their flourishing. And, of course, religious freedom is the key to social harmony. There has never been any way of bringing together diversity with harmony and yet having liberty. Diversity, harmony, liberty. All three. Some countries have two. Diversity with harmony, but coercion. The trick is to have all three. And to do it, you need to have religious freedom. The second thing we need is to assess and choose the best model to lead the world forward. At the moment, there are two extremes. One is the so-called sacred public square, where some religion is preferred or established, and everyone who does not share that religion is necessarily second class, sometimes with life-threatening consequences. There are mild versions, and there are severe versions, like Iran and Pakistan. But that does not guarantee religious freedom for everybody. The other extreme is the so-called naked public square, where all religion is strictly excluded. And of course, again, there are moderate versions, and there are strict versions, like China and North Korea. But you can see, since most of the world is incurably religious, that does not provide justice and freedom for most of the world. The third position is what's called a civil public square, where you have public life, where freedom of conscience and religious freedom is guaranteed for everybody. And obviously, they're taught at the same time the so-called three R's of public life. Rights, responsibilities and respect so that people know how to differ with the differences of other people agreeably and not violently or coercively. The third thing we need is to work hard at what it takes to achieve such civility in public life we need first to see a massive restoration of the understanding of religious freedom. It is not freedom for the religious. It is freedom for all beliefs and all worldviews, religious or secular, transcendental or naturalistic. It is for everybody. But not only that, it is not, as the New York Times covers it recently, something to be put in inverted commas or seen as a cover for bigotry or discrimination. No. Far from it. It is the fundamental anchor against which bigotry runs aground. It is fundamental for everybody. The second thing we need in working towards it is a reopening of the public square. Instead of those who would like to drive religious voices out and have an antiseptic cleansing of the public square... We need to open all voices to the public square. And the great atheists of today, like Jürgen Habermas, would argue that when any religious voices are excluded, as certain people in some of our countries are trying to do, that is highly illiberal and not true freedom. And the third thing we need to make it practical is to renew civic education. Freedom is never a product of law alone. The law is precious and gives us guarantees. But freedom is a product also, and more importantly, of what the great Alexis de Tocqueville called the habits of the heart. It's when parents teach their children freedom. It's when teachers teach their students freedom. That freedom in all its form becomes a habit of the heart and therefore a thriving concern in any country. And many of our countries have seen no decent civic education for the last 50 years. So here we are with an incredible issue for the world and for tomorrow. In our postmodern world, with all the culture warring that's going on, we are seeing the maximum chaos, the maximum conflict, and the maximum controversies. They are disastrous. Humanity has a stake in this issue. Christians certainly have a stake in this issue. I would argue if we had longer that there's nothing like the Christian gospel for giving us the components that provide the answer to these great challenges. But I would just say at such a time with such an issue for the world, it would be tragic if this generation were missing. We each have to so think, so speak, And so live in private and in public that it may be said of us as it was said of King David many centuries ago. He served God's purpose in his generation. And how we live with our differences is crucial
1: to our time. Thank you. Couldn't agree more with what Oz says is getting along despite our differences is is critical. It's crucial. We're seeing that in our society today as things become more heated, as people start to label one another more and more. That leading in a pluralistic society, a space where all ideas should be able to be at the table and compete, is going to be challenging. It's, It's going to require a generation of people who are educated on these ideas, like what you just listened to, but also willing to boldly and courageously defend these ideas, to talk about them, to educate other people on the importance of these ideas. You know, one of the projects that Q and and we got to be a part of over the last couple of years was a research study. It was one of the largest studies to better understand this idea of religious freedom, how Americans are feeling about religion in general, what do people assume when they hear those terms, what are the negative perceptions about those, etc. And in the process of doing that research, we actually worked with the team and were able to create a book that I actually want to make available to you for free. And it's a, a beautiful book that lays out research and what this research means that you could practically apply. And anybody listening, if you enjoyed this talk, it would actually give you some great information about how to lead in a pluralistic society. And that's actually the title of the research book that you can receive from us. You can do that at qideas.org research. So if you just go to qideas.org/research, you'll see there how you can get it. We'll send you that as an ebook that you can download. In fact, one of my favorite parts of this book is something at, towards the end of it. It's called a guide to better conversations, and it's actually designed to help all of us understand how can we get along literally. When we're at the dinner table, when we're celebrating holidays with friends and family and we're gathered around, what are the ways we can actually find agreement on things? We can affirm one another. We can encourage one another. But we can also disagree. But we can do it in a, in a way that has tact. We can do it in a way that actually respects the other person. So it, the download of this is worth that one page alone as a guide to better conversation. It's six ways to actually have better talks, better discussions with those that you love about important ideas. So you can do it at qideas.com. Dot org slash research. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media.
0: Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.